When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey there, Brandon Harvey here. Before we get started, I wanted to give a shout out to the sponsor of this week's episode, Newly. Newly started when five friends identified a pair of significant problems that together, as is often the case with problems, also represent a significant opportunity. First, not enough high quality consumer goods are made from recycled materials. And second, too often consumers are forced to choose between style and sustainability. They searched the globe to find 100% recycled materials that could be used to create beautiful home goods. Their blankets conserve water, their cutting boards help save forests, and their glasses and serving trays keep tons of waste from landfills. Newly proves that style and sustainability are not mutually exclusive. Earth Day is coming up next week, and to celebrate for the month of April, they are offering free shipping to Sounds Goods listeners when you use the promo code GOODNEWS at checkout. Use promo code GOODNEWS at newly.com, spelled N-E-W-L-Y dot com, and get free shipping for the month of April and help support Sounds Good. Newly, beautiful goods responsibly. All right, now here's the show. A conviction of mine has always been that for all of us, at some point, we come to a breaking point in our lives. And this is a moment where things completely shift for us. Often, that's a tragedy. For some, it's a medical diagnosis. For others, it's the death of a loved one, the loss of a job, or a broken relationship. And for Scott Hamilton, my guest on the podcast today, it was losing his mom to cancer. What he did not know was that this breaking point would be his wake-up call. The most recognized male figure skating star in the world, Scott Hamilton, has won 70 titles, awards, and honors, including an Olympic gold medal, an Emmy Award nomination, and induction into the United States Olympic Hall of Fame. After losing his mother to cancer, then becoming a cancer survivor himself, Scott turned activist in his retirement and has been involved in charitable work and has authored three books. His most recent book, Finish First, is a wake-up call for business leaders, entrepreneurs, spouses, parents, and even students to stop settling for mediocre, revitalize their intrinsic will to achieve excellence, and go for the win. Honestly, there is so much to say about Scott's resume. Too much, really. But thankfully, a lot of you already know how incredible this man is. And I've looked up to him for years because of his work off the ice in cancer research. And am so honored that he came to be on the show today to share parts of his story that you may have never heard before. I am Brandon Harvey, and this is Sounds Good, the weekly podcast where we have conversations with inspiring people who are rejecting cynicism and using their lives to make an impact. And as a quick note, before every single episode, when I sit down in the studio with our guests, I give a little bit of context to the show and how the show operates. And, you know, it just helps the guests know where we're heading. And while I was doing that on this episode, Scott just jumped straight into the conversation with some brilliant thoughts. And so I just thought that I'd leave that in there 
and uh, we're just leaving the beginning unedited. So hope you enjoy that. Without any further ado, let's jump straight into the show. Cool. I'll just give you a little bit of context before we get going. Sure. So, you know, ultimately, Sounds Good is a podcast focused on people who are using their lives to make an impact in the world. Oh, nice. And it, it started off with me just being like, wow, there's a lot of inspiring people in the world. They're so positive. They're so hopeful. And it only it's took disgusting, like, isn't it? I know, right? <laughs> but it only took like two or three episodes for me to realize that the common thread between all of their lives wasn't positivity. It was that they had dealt with tragedy and yeah. heartbreak and pain. And that's where their hope and joy came from, from this deeper place. Yeah. And so well, it's, the- you know, there's a, a quote I heard recently um, from a Christian philosopher that said, God cannot use us greatly until we've been hurt deeply. Wow. And I, I just like, bam. That's yeah. amazing. You know, this guy's part of the angel saying it was like, I get it. I yeah. totally 100% get it. Yeah, yeah. And so, you know, with the show, I've been just, like, learning to, like, emotionally be able to go there and, yeah, and dive cool. deep. And, and we, we really do go there with the show. And so I really feel like you're an incredible fit for the show because oh, no. Thank of you. just your story of resilience and hope in the way that you have an impact on people, you know, for, for decades, you know. I was reading book reviews of your book, which... I hope oh, you I'm, don't do, no, but, but I do. And and I was even reading like book reviews for like your older books and people were just so, they were saying like, I have cancer and this has been a game changer for me to hear how you've overcome this. And it's wild. I avoid reviews. I think that's for the best. I avoid my reviews. Well, you know, because if they're great, it doesn't really change anything. Yeah. And if they're horrible, it doesn't really change anything. <laughs> so you know, Especially with like, a book, you can't change a book. You no, know, but I mean, I, I love... The whole idea of critics and, you know, yeah. what, are the, what are the voices in your head? And it's sort of like you, you got to just, like, take it, edit it, and then file it, hmm. right? So, you know, for me, it's like take it. Okay, okay, okay. Here's a criticism. Okay. Is it based in fact or opinion? If it's based in opinion, I can file it in the circular file. Mm. <laughs> which would be my trash can. <laughs> um, if it's fact, then I can choose whether or not it's really applicable or whether or not it's just something to discard yeah. as well. Yeah. So in the book, it's been really um, amazing that I, you know, I, it helped me really process a lot of the things that I've been able to learn over time because there's nothing better than like a grumpy old guy, right? You know? <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm not grumpy at all. And in fact, you know, if anything, I'm just trying to like <sighs> blow the wind in people's sails. But, you know, it's, it's taking the harsh parts of the process and re-identifying them. That yeah. was really almost like it was powerful for me, you know, and I think about, you know, how people like criticism. Let's go back to that right away. And really just sort of, is it fact or opinion? That's kind of like yeah. the, the test you, yeah. know, you can put on it and then doing with it as you will, right? Yeah. But it's just really t- looking at it as just like, stop. It, either it's worth, it, it, either it's, it's good or it's bad, or it's, it's something to invest in or it's something to dis- discard. But it's just, you have the power over it yeah. now, where a lot of people feel like they're powerless against criticism. Totally. And then it's, you know, on the same thing with failure, you know, and failure is like, I've kind of broken it down to if we can look at failure as information. Yeah. Holy cow. Just information. Yeah. Data. 
So like data. the worst thing that ever happens in your life, this gigantic failure, whether it be in um, your personal life or um, in business or in school or in um, you know your social group, whatever that is. It's information. If we can just yeah. take it, dumb it down to information, then it's not debilitating as we move exactly. forward. We move forward um, in a way that we learned, we're processed, and now it's it's so far in the rearview mirror yeah. that it almost doesn't exist anymore. It's done its job, and now we can move forward. If we can get to that place with failure, oh my goodness, and it changes the world for all yeah. of us. Yeah, and you just have to be willing enough to listen and to pay attention and treat it as data and not ignore it. Otherwise, you'll make the same mistake again. But if you can process that, mm-hmm. you will never make that same mistake again. That's data to learn from. Or at least you grow a little bit yeah. from it. You know? and, and so if you grow from something, you're growing past it. You're growing beyond it. You're growing above it. You're growing in many different ways. So looking back on you know, how do we build this message of Finish First to a, a broad audience, you know, it just comes down to... You know, what are the what are the different components of being successful and how important is competition in all that? And, you know, there's there's you can compete against um, a standard. You can compete against someone else. You can compete with yourself. You can. There's lots of forms of competition. But to try as a as a culture or society to sort of, you know, sort of chip away and ebb away and and eliminate competition because we're good. We're fine. We're good. No, we're going to be fed. <laughs> we have a roof over our head. Some do, some don't. But it's like, we're okay. No, we're, we, we honestly, okay is okay. What if we were great? You know, yeah. <laughs> what if it were where we all aspired to to take our opportunities and leverage everything around us to make it beyond like anything we thought possible. Mm. And, you know, and again, the world is debilitating. It really is. It can suck the life out of you. It's just seeing, the, you know, just all this stuff that happens. But if we can inject, you know, kind of what this podcast is all about, if we can inject some uh, positivity and some re-identification and ways forward to allow somebody to really go, oh, wow. I mean, I was always, that crushed me. And I, I haven't been able to move past it. Mm. It's like, well, that was something that happened. But it you're past that now. Yeah. You know, it's like um, when I was trying to estimate, we were talking, uh, Allie Fallon, the writer, and I were talking. And we go, okay, so if I fell so many X amount of times per session over the, this amount of time, blah, blah, blah. And honestly, you know, in the beginning, you fall a lot more than you do at the end. But in the average, um, I estimated that I fell 41,600 times. Wow. No, but the cool thing is... Like, that seems like a lot. I got up 41,600 <laughs> times. Yeah. So you get up enough. You know, you get up from failure. You get up from, um, you know, whatever it is. You get up enough, and it builds this muscle in your psyche where you can just sort of now, you get up. You just get up. Naturally get up. Like, diagnosed with cancer. Holy cow, the fear is unbelievable. It's extraordinary. You're shrouded in this, like, awful, um, you know, just looking forward at all these things that enter in your mind that this is what cancer is. And then you kind of break it down and go, okay, it's a process. Like I get to participate in this process and I get to like define what this process looks like. And then it changes everything. Right. So it's, um, with all the experiences that I've had, you know, I really, I felt uniquely qualified to kind of share this message. Good. Good. Yeah. Wow. First of all, I've been going through a bunch of your old videos of your old performances from before I was born. And 
you had a lot more hair back then. Hair's overrated. <laughs> like, and if I could I, do with my hair what you do with yours, that's kind of cool. Well, it's really I, awesome. I'm saying that because my hair is going the direction of your hair. Well, right now it's a photo negative, right? <laughs> where I got it, you don't. Exactly. And where you got it, I Together don't. Together we form one <laughs> full head of a human. It's a party. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, it's. I look back on those days and it's like, okay. Yeah, we all have our high school yearbook photos. And for me, a lot of those are, you know, it's kind of like, uh, you know, I guess I must have known I was going to lose it because I kept it as long as I possibly yes. could. You know, that hockey yeah. hair. You got to enjoy you know, it. A little short on the sides, party in the back. You know, let's <laughs> keep it going. And and it just, I just always thought that, that was the way it was. I mean, it was the 80s, yeah. you know, and it was like everybody had you know, shoulder pads and, you know, all these crazy clothes. And I wasn't the only one. Yeah, no, I wasn't the only one wearing spandex back then. You know? so <laughs> it was fun. Uh, um, but it's just like, yeah, you, you we continue to evolve and we yes. become hopefully the people that we're supposed to be, you know, over time. Yeah. Oh, man. I, I want to bring it back even further, back to the beginning. You grew up in Ohio. Yeah. Tell me about your family and life in Ohio. Well, I was adopted at six weeks. Okay, And I wow. always joke that I remember like it was yesterday. Um, you know, it was, <laughs> it's a big thing being adopted, you know, because obviously I was unintended or in a situation where um, uh, whoever and you created me— um, I kind of know a little bit more than I should, you know, yeah. and that just came out of an odd set of circumstances. But, you know, it just comes down to the fact that I was given a chance. And um, mm. so I was adopted by two school teachers. Uh, my mother at the time was a second grade school teacher. My dad was a uh, big old Ph.D. professor of biology at Bowling Green State University. And they brought me back to Bowling Green and life was great. And then, um you know, when you're adopted, you don't really know what your growth patterns are. You don't really know kind of where things stand. You don't really know, you know, what to expect, right? Because it's just sort of, we have this being yeah. in our house that biologically could be anything. We have no idea because we don't have any information to base this on, right? Yeah. So I didn't grow for a while and it got to be a concern. So I went in and out of hospitals for about four years and they finally gave up trying to diagnose it. And about that time, I just started skating and... uh for whatever reason. Yeah, I, why skating? Uh, There's a brand new ice skating rink at Bowling Green State <laughs> University. And, and it, it's the one building in the university that is used as much by the citizens of Bowling Green as it is by the college oh, wow. itself. That's great. No, it's a really wonderful yeah. public you know, um, school partnership. So um, we had Saturday morning lessons for about four hours from 8 to noon. And the kids would come in and they would skate and they would go from class to class and learn and play and grow and and I realized, you know, even though I was really sick, that I found something I could do as well kids and as the best athletes in my grade, wow. ultimately. And it just sort of was first taste at self-esteem. Wow. And it leveled that playing field for you as, oh, yeah. as a smaller kid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally. Wow. 100%. Yeah, because last one chosen, if chosen. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and it was, you know, kind of was weaker, smaller, you know, all those things that, you know, you'd think. but. Um, skating kind of gave me a way of, you know, um, creating an identity That's and a huge. purpose and, uh, you know, um, and it was really power. And then I started physically getting better. So it's kind of miraculous in that way. Yeah. Um, and then Cause I, an effect or correlation, uh, I'd, I'd, you know, it's hard to say because what it was never diagnosed. Okay. But in 2004, I was diagnosed with a pituitary brain tumor that, I was born with. Hmm. So in in a really cool way, the brain tumor, for whatever reason, it stopped doing its mischief. It didn't start doing its mischief again until I stopped skating. 
Interesting. Isn't that wild? Wow. That's so really I stopped wild. in March. And then by October, I couldn't even get out of bed because I was I was just so listless wow. and passionless, and I just didn't. I just felt I was suffering some sort of depression because mm. I I wasn't that guy anymore that I was, you know, like performing in front of all these people and you know whatever whatever you know kind of that level of um, familiarity or not, whatever that does, you know, it kind of was like it's sort of a reason to get out of bed in the morning and do things and yeah. conquer the world and try to best your last best performance and all that, you know, so I didn't really have that anymore. I wasn't that person anymore. I thought it was just depression. And then I decided one morning that I really needed to, um, do what I tell other people to do. And that's be your own medical advocate and to make sure that if there are any changes or anything that you, um, you're vigilant and you find the reason. So I said, okay, I got to, you know, yeah, I got to practice what I preach. And so, <laughs> I went in, did some blood work, and they said, yeah, there's really very um, trace amounts of testosterone. Hmm. You know? And I go, that's really weird. Yeah. And they go, well, you know, what we can do is um, we can, you know, we feel it was probably part of my cancer because I had testicular cancer, probably an after effect of the chemo and all the surgeries and everything is, you know, we can just treat you topically and you'll be feeling much, much better in a few weeks. And I said, um, no, that's not it. I mean, there's more to it than that. I mean, I just... There's a lot of things going on, and everything I mentioned, they said, ah, it's your age. You know, you're getting older now, and you expect these things. And um, and I just get one after another. And then finally I go, why is my peripheral vision all messed up? And they go, oh, okay, well, <laughs> let's get you in for a head scan. And so I went in, and they found uh, this brain tumor. And, and in the information given after a week of just prayer and um, and uncertainty, they finally decided to do a biopsy, which means that they – they drill a small hole in the top of your head. They go down into your optic chasm. They take a piece of this tumor, and then they find out what kind of cell it is. And they found out that it was a craniopharyngioma, which is a brain tumor that children are born with. Wow. And it inhibits growth and, and uh, development. And that's what I had when I was that's little. But had. they didn't have the technology in the 60s to find that. And if they had, it would have been a craniotomy. It would have been oh, really barbaric. Dang. It really would have been where my personality would have been different, my my physicality. They didn't have any of the things they have now. Yeah. So I'm really grateful they didn't find it back <laughs> then, you know, because, you know, a lot of people ask if I feel like a victim because of all my health issues. And it's like, no, because they all work together for my good, you know. Without the brain tumor, I never would have started skating. I never would have understood as a young person what it felt to be independent and um, had to be self-reliant and all those things that I needed to step on the ice alone on that huge sheet of ice to be able to skate in front of a lot of people and compete. So there were a lot of those factors that, um, really came in handy later on. Wow. And, and so I'm, I'm grateful for it. That's ultimately. incredible. I mean, who would I be without it? Yeah. You know? Wow. What an amazing perspective. Well, I, <laughs> it's the only one I got. <laughs> or I could be a victim and say, why, why, why <laughs> everybody fall into my drama? It's like you, you can easily go there and I don't yeah. blame people for doing that. It's like, why? No, no, no. But at the same time, it's like this is a, a moment and a condition of your life. It's yours to own and operate. How are you going to do it? Like, what are you going to do? Yeah. And I've seen so many people. Like, I see a bald woman in a grocery store, and I just want to buy her groceries because I'm seeing a champion. I'm seeing somebody that I admire. I'm seeing somebody that's mm. fighting the fight and and just really unashamed to go out and that's just good. say, here's where I am. 
and I'm here. I'm in the grocery store, and I'm, I'm you know, supporting my family. I'm doing what I got to do to live and to be productive, and and I really admire those people. So, I, you know, I'm always the one to kind of, like, I look around for people to inspire me and to, um, you know, kind of lift me out when I start to kind of get a little, you know, low or you hit a trough yeah. or something. It's like, who's going to get me out of this? Who's going to give me a leg up? And That's incredible. And I see that in people that are fighting back um, their problems, whether it be physical or emotional or financial or whatever. I, I take a lot of inspiration from people that have found a way upward and out. That's incredible because you're, you're an Olympic athlete. You're a champion. You're yeah, all, all these that. things. Yeah, yeah. And, and you're inspired by people in the grocery store. Like, that's amazing. That's beautiful. Yeah, well, I'm, I, I mean, it's not hard if you just sort of tune in that frequency to yeah. find examples everywhere, you know, of people that truly – allow you to see the possibilities and the opportunities and then to kind of absorb those in order to be part of your, uh, you know, kind of your mission, your life, your perspective. And, and I've collected enough of that where now I kind of understand that my competitive life and my professional skating life, I honestly never would have thought to dream it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like none of that made any sense. I'm undersized, bad health, Parents of limited means, no coaching, limited ice time. How am I going to be given permission to dream for anything in the sport besides best mediocrity? (laughs) (laughs) And then, you know, um, things just started happening. And most of them were, you know, kind of falling down and getting up and falling down and getting up, failing miserably and getting up. And so um, in writing Finish First, I, you know, it just decided that, I see it in in my own kids' development where they're trying to eliminate competition from a lot of things with kind of the participation trophy thing, which is, you know, ultimately I, I get it's it's okay. But if you if there are no winners and no losers, then everybody's lost because mm. you need to have someone, you know, really want to attain something or really want to yeah. – because there's something about – I think one thing that we all share – and I go back to fifth grade – you know, I was I just started skating and I really wasn't much and I started competing in regional little competitions and there weren't many boys, so I was able to be somewhat successful. And I remember we were um it was sixth grade, sixth grade, and we we're having an all school assembly at the end of the year and they were doing recognition for some of the teachers and blah blah blah. And there there was a family that wanted to uh sponsor an award for a child in the school that was doing something outside of school that really was unique and wonderful and everything. And it was, um, it was sort of like, I would think more about art or whatever, you know, whatever it is, you know, community service or, and I'm sitting there and I'm just fantasizing about, wouldn't it be really cool? Wouldn't it, what would my life, what would it be like if I was, my name was called? Right. (laughs) And it was like, I think all of us, you know, have that same feeling. My name was called (laughs) and it was this little bowl. And I, I mean, I, I treasured this thing because of all the kids in my school, I got recognition, and it made me feel like I just felt so special and so wow. wonderful. And, it, and it's just that encouragement you need to face the next thing. And and I think about, you know, being in Lake Placid. I'm the third guy on a three-man team, no chance for a medal, basically a tourist, you know, in the competition just to go out and do the best that I can. For me, my finish first at the Olympics in 1980 were to be in the top eight. If I could be in the top eight, it was like— that's a finish first Great. moment for me, right? It's like, I did it. I had a goal and I met it and I was fifth. But here's going back to being the third guy on a three-man team. 
they were talking about, you know, the, all the captains from the different sports are meeting tonight to choose the flag bearer for the opening ceremonies in Lake Placid. So it's like a home Olympics. United States would be marching in last. And again, just having that fantasy of like, when, what it would it be like if, you know, if I got to carry the flag in the opening ceremony? And then you go, well, that'll never happen because <laughs> why would I? I mean, they got Eric Hyden. They've got all these skating champions. They've got people competing in sports for the first time that have a chance of doing really well, why would they choose the third guy on a three-man team, right? And um, I was sitting in a movie in the Olympic Village, and I got called out of it by our team captains. And they said, you really done it this time. <laughs> and it's like, I'm, I felt like I'm getting thrown out of the Olympics. And I go, I didn't do anything. Whatever you heard, I didn't do any of it. I've been, a, I've been a model citizen. I've been on time. I've skated well every practice. And I just, I've been a, like perfect here. Why am I getting called out? And he goes, well, you've really done it. And I go, tell me what I've done. And they go, you've been elected to carry the flag in the opening ceremony. And it's like, <laughs> why? <laughs> why? Yeah. And it's like that. It's like, why? And it was all about the struggle. You know, I lost my mom. I, you know, I had a childhood illness. Um, I had a falling out with one of the best coaches in the world, just lost interest in me. And it was all these kind of failures that I was able to rise above to even be on the team where in the selling of different athletes like they had um a man and a woman from each sport nominated and then they had to talk about why and the team pretty much decided that it wasn't about success in lake placid it was about the struggle wow and they felt like i represented that so there's a whole story about how when i went in for the parade uniform fitting you know it's like um they asked what size shoes you wear and i go six and they go Seven and a half, okay. <laughs> and on and on yeah. and on. I was wearing my dad's clothes in the opening ceremony of the Olympics. So it's very humbling, you yeah. know. Your hat keeps falling down over your eyes and you're trying to hold on to the flag. And it's but it's like those type of things. So in writing finish first, I just felt like we all have that within us of wouldn't it be great if I had recognition? Or wouldn't it yeah. be great if I was able to win something or would it be great if I was able to set a goal and and just hit it out of the park you know and I I realize it's kind of a common emotion that we all have of just being recognized or being Mm. you know in some way doing something that truly tests ourselves that we can look back on it and say I did it yeah and and it's a recognition for something that you truly worked for and accomplished too. Mm-hmm. Like that's what we want. That's what we want. And, but when you take competition out of the equation, it's like, well, where do we get our feedback now? Now we're in sort of this vacuum. You know, it's like, I tell a story about my son. He just took up hockey and he's got, no, he's going to be a Nashville predator. That's it. I mean, there's no there's <laughs> decision made. Decision made. He goes, I want to go from zero to now being on the um, Pred Select All-Star team where I travel around around the region. Then I want to be a junior Pred where now I'm traveling all over the country playing hockey at a high level. And I go, okay, well, we got some work to do. (laughs) So he's in the youth league. And the first two games last year he played, um, they got killed. I mean, they got destroyed. You know, they don't really have the scoreboard where they keep. There's It's half ice games, so it's really just going on chasing the puck around. But they, they lost like, I don't know, like six or seven to two. Because you're you know? keeping track on the sidelines. Well, all the parents are, right? <laughs> we all do that. And he got in the car and he was just mad. He was just like, I don't like this. I don't like losing. And as a parent, you're, you know, your heart kind of aches a little bit. And I go, well, well, tell me about it. And he goes, I don't like, I don't, I don't like it. They, they killed us. They were awful. And I go, well, can we just break it down? And he goes, 
sure. And I go, what did you learn today? And he goes, whew. Well, I learned I got to skate a little bit faster. And I, I, I really want to work on my stick handling to be able to remove the puck around. And, man, I want to get my shot up in that corner of the net where the goalie can't touch it. You know, just – and I could just see him dreaming about all the things that he wanted to be able to do. And I go – Wow, that's really impressive, buddy. It's that feedback again. Yeah, and I go, what would you have learned if you won? And he just looked at me like, is that a trick question? <laughs> and I go, no, no, what would you have learned if you won? And he goes, nothing? And I go, precisely. <laughs> I go, this is great. I go, you get to get feedback. You get to know where you need to strengthen yourself. And I always tell my kids, I got this kind of mantra. I learned it in skating because Dick Button would always – be talking about my performances, and he'd always criticize something. And my goal was to shut him up, right? <laughs> if I could make it so Dick didn't have anything to say, then I, you know, that was, to me, my finish first with him, right? So my finish first moment with Dick Button was trying to figure out how to, like, not give him anything to criticize. And I realized in that process that the greatest strength is a lack of weakness. Hmm. And all of us have parts of us that we're not good at, if we're able to strengthen those just through the process of, of getting that feedback and understanding and putting ourselves out there and, and, and just doing something that we've always wanted to do or something that is like a young goal for a young athlete or a young executive in business or somebody working in the mailroom that wants to work their way up, in Finish First, I give everybody kind of the process of this is what it takes in order to win, whatever that win is. And finish first sounds like, you know, the gold medal is the only thing that yeah. matters. No, finishing first for every single person has its own identity, right? So it's yeah. a broad message. And, you know, the kind of the subtitle of the book is Winning Changes Everything. You know, think about my, you know, my, my oldest biological son has really been struggling in, in algebra at school. You know, and he just doesn't like it. You know, it, he doesn't like it, and it doesn't like him back, right? You know, so... <laughs> Same with me and compulsory figures. I hated compulsory figures until I couldn't afford to hate them anymore, right? What, what are compulsory figures? They're the figure eights. That oh, okay. Back then, you had to do those in competition. They were a big part of the competition. And so, you know, I, 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 you, know you just got to find a way to just build that muscle in your brain to repeat, 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 repeat. And he's like, oh, man, I just, I just don't like it. And I go, I get it. But, you know, you got to figure out a way to, you know, get through this thing and just build that muscle in your brain where you can look at these equations and, and just get it. You know, you understand now. And um, so, you know, he just put his head down and he got to work. And for him, you know, a finished first thing was to kind of find a way to get his grade up, right? Mm. If he's at a C, which is in our family, you know, it's like, eh, we want you guys to work hard and get, you know, do get A's, B's the worst. So now he's sitting there going, okay, how do I get 100 on this test? And that's his motivation. It's like not only, you know, do it, but once you get that A in something that you don't like doing, holy cow, the world opens up. The world opens up, yeah. It does. And now it's it's like now you've built trust with your teachers. Now you you start to build A's. Now you're building A's and you're building A's upon A's because you know you can do it. Then those A's turn into a better school. Better school means better work. Better work means better opportunities for your family. And it just changes the trajectory of everything. So how do we present this case of finishing first? Yeah. And it's the process I learned. I went from losing everything to winning everything. And and here's how. So I, I tried to write the book and kind of like the story brand style, the Don <laughs> story brand style of I'm your host. 
It's not about me. It's about you. Pick up this book and see, you know, how it resonates and yeah. how it inspires. And it's and, convicting. Yeah. I'm like, re- I did the audiobook. So I got you like talking right into my ears. <laughs> like, oh my gosh, Scott's telling me I got to like get to the office, right? Like, <laughs> it's true. It's great. You know, and it's, it's, it's so wild because it's, it's little changes that build up over time yeah. to that, you know, the person that uh, wasn't able to succeed anymore that person no longer exists because now you're living your life differently. You look at goals differently. You look at the process of being more successful differently. And I, and I tell everybody, listen, you know, I, I just say, look, if you had to write down a recipe for success, the biggest single ingredient is failure. (laughs) (laughs) It's true. Yeah. Right. It's like, if you had a pie chart, There'd be this gigantic red thing, which is failure, and then everything else would be listed beyond that. And so much of that is, you know, is it a, a, a personal failure? Did I fail myself? Did I fail my coach? Did I fail my employer? Did I fail my parents? How do I, how do I identify that? And then you go through the whole process is, was I told I was a failure or was I actually a failure? And then there's all the get up things. It's like, okay, that's in the past. You've learned from it. We don't have to do that again. I'm giving you permission not to make those same mistakes. And it, and it has so many applications, you know, mm. whether it be with um, just trying to get a better job or better grades or get to something you've always put off or it's addiction, whatever it is. I mean, I, th- I think it has these really broad applications that I hope everybody um, is able to, um, you know, really just dive in and accept it. I think so, too. No, thanks. And a lot of what we've been talking about the last few minutes is this idea of kind of work ethic and, and the the small decisions and changes you have to make to succeed and to finish first. Um, and Work ethic scares me, by the work way. Work ethic? That, you know, I'm commitment phobic Com- a little bit. I mean, I'm <laughs> yeah, happily yeah, yeah. married with four kids. But the whole idea of, like, work? <laughs> ew. You know, yeah. so I try to replace words that are kind of ugly, yeah. like hard work and determination. It's like... It's honestly commitment, commitment, and repetition. Repetition. There we go. No, and that's less scary. It's way less scary, but it's also more fun. Yeah. Like if you do something you like to do and you yeah. do it all the time, you're going to get better. But so here's what I'm curious about: growing up, you know, because everybody's got this transition that happens. Oh yeah. At what point did you flip that switch where you went from being, you know, somebody who you know sleeps in or stays out late or what, whatever it is in the world of skating? and decide I'm going to be committed and I'm going to be consistent. My parents sacrificed everything. They were, you know, limited means. Teachers. My mom went back to school to get her master's so she'd become an associate professor with better, um, you know, benefits and a better salary so she could help pay for my skating. She never bought clothes for herself. Wow. She lived in the same thing. She had a really bad uh, self-esteem, and she was the center of my universe. I saw the sacrifices she made. Um, in 1977, let's go all the way back to 77. It was my first year on senior level. I was never supposed to make the senior level because my parents almost went bankrupt when I was a junior. Oh, wow. But a sponsor came in and decided to sponsor me. So that year, um, 77 was the first year that I was sponsored. And I went out for the national championships, first year senior. I was fifth in the figures, which I was terrible at figures, good in freestyle, right? Went out with my, for my freestyle program untrained, undisciplined, ill-prepared, and I fell like two or three times. And I I ended up coming in ninth overall. Okay? Here's the catalyst. 
that was the last time my mother ever saw me skate. She died of cancer three months later, and I just, um, she was the center of my universe. So now here's this real wake-up call. Am I going to stay this person? Am I going to go out and just party with my friends, show up late, not feel good, not really train that hard? Am I going to show up, you know, the minute before I'm supposed to be at, on the ice and just sort of phone it in and talk to my, you know, and not get anything really accomplished that day? Am I, is that the person I'm going to be? Or am I going to mourn her in a really significant way? She sacrificed everything for me. Now I can sacrifice everything for her. It was this breaking point. It was. I was. I went for a walk. We lived in the country, and I went for a walk in our backyard. And um, I go, how am I going to do this without her? How am I going to? And I just the the guilt and the remorse um, were so um, strong that I, I said the only way I can truly honor her sacrifices are to do it taking her with me wherever I go. So she died 40 years ago, and there isn't a day I don't talk about her, think about her, or um, allow her to inspire me to do something differently. So I went from ninth in the country to 11 months later, third in the country, 11th in the world. Two years later, I'm on the Olympic team coming in fifth. The um, April after the March World Championships in 1980, I'm ranked fifth in the world. Like really one decision over a three-year period of time. Wow. Ranked fifth in the world instead of ninth in the nation. And I'm sitting there. I'm doing the math. Okay, I'm, I'm fifth in the world. Robin Cousins, the gold medalist of the Olympics, and, you know, he just turned pro. Huh. Jan Hoffman, the silver medalist, decided to go to medical school. Huh. Charlie Tickner, the bronze medalist, decided to turn professional. Huh. All I had to do is wake up one morning and I'm ranked second in the world. That's a pretty good cup of coffee. So the whole idea was it's like, okay, I have, I'm like this close. I'm this close. What do I need to do? What level do I need to commit in order to to beat this guy that's now ranked first in the world? So here's the deal. The year that I fell five times at the U.S. Nationals and came in dead last in novice, novice, okay, (laughs) this guy was on the podium in senior men as this whiz kid because nobody could do figures as well as this guy could do figures. So it's like, okay, um, now I have to fall in love with compulsory figures because it's the only way I'm going to get close enough to him to beat him. And I did. I just put my nose down and just said, bam, let's get to work, you know. And by the time I got to nationals, I was able to get really close to him. And then I was able to, um, because I had a couple jumps in my arsenal that um, he didn't have like 100%, I was able to get past him in the freestyle. That's amazing. And it happened at the U.S. Nationals and at the World Championships the next year. That's incredible. I was incredible. able to win Worlds, and then that was a whole nother, like... And was that at the point when you did that a few years in a row, too? Well, from October of 1980, I competed in an uh, international competition called Skate Canada, and from October of 1980 until March of 1984, I never lost a competition. Wow. And it all comes with that decision that I don't really need to come in last anymore. I just don't need to do that. Um, there's a way out, and I, I'm in charge. So in finish first, you know, <laughs> I'm the guide. You know, I basically say, here's who I was, kind of basically, and here's who I wanted to be. And and it was just through this series of reshuffling the deck and reorganizing my life, 
you know, it's like talking about the guy that wants to be a session drummer in Nashville. So he rents a, you know, a, a storage unit. And all he does every day is play drums for four hours after work. It's so good. You want to go out tonight? Nope. I'm playing drums. And I have work tomorrow, and then I'm playing drums. On the weekend, I'll meet you guys if I'm not playing somewhere. But it's that. It's that commitment. It's like the guy that used to be a skater and decided like his future was in academics right, and work. And so I'd call him up, and I'd say, you know, I was training for the 80 Olympics. And I'd go, you want to, you know, hit a movie or something this weekend? He goes, uh I'm studying for a competition. <laughs> he would find the smartest kid in that class, and he would compete with them to try to win every test. And that translated in, how do I win every interview to get into grad school that I want to get into? How do I win there to be able to get to the London School of Economics? How do I win there in order to get the best job I can in the financial district? And it's like his life has been just this spike trajectory of made a decision, made a few adjustments to the way he lives his life, and now he's able to do live any way he wants to live. He wrote me, because um, I mentioned him in the book, and uh, he wrote me, he goes, okay, I've read it twice, I've underlined everything, not because you gave me a shout-out. I'm giving this to my kids. <laughs> no, I'm giving a copy to my kids with my highlighted stuff. That's hilarious. And, you know, I really, he goes, this is an important message, especially now where we are as a country. Hmm. Tell me more about that. Well, the, I mean, in I terms look, of like where our country's at. Well, I mean, I, I do, you know, think that there's a, you know, like a whole generation of people that are somewhat paralyzed. You know, they're social media. I don't want to be, you know, called out on social media. I don't want to be criticized. I don't They've gone through the whole participation trophy thing. You know, their parents wanted to shield them from harm and everything else. But, you know, going back to um, another science experiment, Biosphere 2, oh my goodness. They built this this um, kind of like dome where they were, you know, trying to grow an uh, environment like inside a controlled space, yeah. right? And they realized that trees would grow to maturity really quickly, and then they tip over. Hmm. And they, they were trying to figure out why is this happening? Because <laughs> it's they're they're doing great, they're healthy, and then bam, they just fall over. And it's because there's no wind. so without resistance without building something stress wood and a root system we have you know a generation of people that are just struggling because they don't know what their identity is they don't know what a good identity is they don't know really how to actively be competitive and get out there and try to go through that whole process of kind of winning um, their uh, place winning winning their you know their dreams winning their goals winning because they've never really had to do that before. And there's a whole different shift of focus now on what's important. Well, what's important is how many followers I have and how many likes I had this week. Okay. I'm not, it's a broad stroke. Okay. I don't mean, you know, <laughs> but I'm just saying I've, I've met yeah. so many that, you know, when they get into the workplace, they go, I got criticism today. I'm, I'm going to quit. And it's like, really? Why would you do that? You like your job. I do, but I can't handle this kind of criticism. It's like, why don't you use it? Use it. It was awful. I go, I know it's awful. You know, there's so many aspects of life that's messy and yeah. weird and awful. Yeah. Let's just use this. Yeah. Right? And I mean, that's something that we're all about here, you know, with Sounds Good is is this idea of, you know, diving into these things that are messy and complicated and difficult. Yeah. I think millennials have some room to grow in that regard. Um, from your perspective as somebody, you know, who's, you know, decades ahead of me. <laughs> what are you excited about with millennials? Like, what are you excited about with my generation and, you know, the unique strengths? that There's so much energy 
so much intelligence, so much compassion, so much life force. My goodness, I, I see um, these young people and I see the protests and I see the passion and I see, you know, just this, this strength of character for the just what's happening in our world. If that could be funneled back into strengthening them, themselves with a focus and a clarity of, of yeah. mission and moving forward, there's nothing they can't accomplish. Nothing anyone can't accomplish, right? That's exciting. So it is exciting because it just starts with a level of commitment. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm sitting here talking to you. You're obviously incredibly intelligent. You've got these eyes and this focus. <laughs> it's kind of like, holy cow, he's looking right through me. <laughs> you know, but that's it. I mean, there, those, all those are, um, you know, you, you set up a spreadsheet, you know, and, and what are your credits and what are your debts? Yeah. What are your strengths and what are your weaknesses? And the idea is to like start to cross off your weaknesses. Yeah. You know, like this will help me back. Okay, I got to strengthen that. This maybe is something that I'm not good enough at yet to be able to get to where I want to be. What are the rules of the game, right? What are the rules of the game I'm playing now? How do I become more successful in the game? Cluster wins. Yeah. Get a couple wins under my belt and then start winning. Because I I compare in the book, it's like winning isn't just this end-all, be-all destination. Winning is like every day, right? Yeah. A win is this interview. For me and for you. Uh, it's a totally. win. Yeah. It's a win. So you build a foundation on, on all these wins. And a win is showing up on time. A win is just being prepared. A win is just um, trying to learn something you didn't know yesterday. A win is getting yourself just even a centimeter closer to your goal than you were before. All those are wins because each of those wins build a foundation to that kind of goal. And once you reach that goal... There's eight more that present themselves. And it's that's like, amazing. holy cow, now what am I? It's that's, like, pick and choose. Okay, now there's opportunity. Yeah. Every single time, like, I won the Olympics. I, I mean, it's still surreal to this day. I can say that. But <laughs> honestly, my Olympic gold medal lived in a brown paper bag in my underwear drawer for six years because I didn't want to look at it. Eight years, actually, eight years. And it was all about, um, I don't want this to hold me back. I want to keep looking forward. So I joined the Ice Capades, which was the only opportunity I had to make money. He told me it's a good thing I won the Olympic gold medal because I was too short to be in the chorus line. <laughs> I told him I was going to be the best employee he ever had. I was for two years, never missed a show, never missed a press call, skated at the top of my game for two straight years. I even took over for other athletes that were injured, and I did their shows for them. And at the end of the two years, um, Ice Capades was going through a sale, and they basically said the new owner doesn't want men, period. Good luck. Hmm. But in those two years, I proved myself that I could handle a workload. I'd learned a ton about um, what it takes to put on a show. I learned what audiences respond to and what they don't. And I learned about production a little bit. I learned about lighting. I learned about a lot of things, transportation. I just paid attention. And in that meeting where my manager told me that I'm not going back to Ice Capades, um, for sure, um, he just said, do you want to start a tour? That never would have happened to me year one because I wasn't I, – I didn't prove myself. Yeah. And I go, let me check my calendar. <laughs> and so we started a show called Stars on Ice. Right. At first, though, it was called Scott Hamilton's Hamilton. America Sol- Tour. There we go. That's, yeah, well, they thought they you could, didn't keep that name. No, no, no. Because <laughs> what happens is there's too much pressure, right? So yeah. ultimately, it was to create opportunities for high-level skaters, right? 
And so if my name was on it in perpetuity, then it had no future. Yes. Right? So they knew that if they could build a brand and build this center of excellence in a skating show, that audiences would come. And even when I retired, audiences would still come. I hosted the um, NBCSN television special of Stars on Ice last Saturday night. Right? Yeah, yeah. In fact, I saw uh, friends of the show, Maya and Alex Shibutani yeah, there. Yeah, So it's all the Olympic team. Okay, this is 32 years later. And simultaneously, <laughs> amazing. Stars on Ice is doing an American tour, a Japanese tour that dovetails right into a Canadian tour. Wow. That's incredible. No, it's like this big success story. But none of those opportunities would have happened had I not just yeah. did the work. And so... Um, when that opportunity happened again, it was like five shows, proof of concept, another five shows to see if we need to spend money on production. Okay. I was right. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go back and book a couple more shows and see what the audience thinks and, and really kind of put it out there and see where our weaknesses are and where our strengths are. And from there it was, let's do 30 cities. Let's do 30 more cities. Let's do 30 more cities year after year after year. And then, um, in 1992, Christy Yamaguchi wins the Olympics, and all she wanted to do was stars on ice. <laughs> so now we have an Olympic, reigning Olympic ladies champion who wants to come directly to us. And we went to a 60-city tour. That's amazing. 12 more in Canada. So a 72-city city tour. And by the time I stepped away as a full cast member in 2001, we were selling out, you know, of their 60 cities, we'd sell out clean 40 of them. That's wild. So it's just like you do, you build, you do yeah. the work and you show up every day. And, and that gets me so excited. I think about this all the time with the small accomplishments I've had that I'm proud of, you know, thinking about, hey, in 20 years, those are going to be the platform for whatever new goal or accomplishment Precisely. I'm working You'll towards. You'll never got, forget it. And I've got no clue what that thing is going to be down the road, but I know that I would not be there without that you know, that thing that I worked towards last year. Well, we took, you know, I think in the book, I got a, I got, I don't know the exact number. There's always over 55,000 steps in a marathon. Hmm. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, That's... it's like, you know, we, you know, and we were going back to like millennials. It's Simon Sinek, you know, who's yeah. a genius, right? He said, millennials tend to see, you know, they're standing there, they're looking up at the top of the mountain and they're like, That's where I'm going to be. That's me right there. They don't see the mountain, <laughs> you know? And so as, as, as kind of a, an argument, you know, in, on behalf of the mountain, right? <laughs> I just said, you know, it's this guy, Kyle Maynard, that climbed Mount Kilimanjaro. Well, a lot of people have climbed Mount Kilimanjaro. He didn't have any arms or legs, and he got to the top. If he can do it, what are our excuses? Yeah. You know? My coach would always tell me, don't give me excuses, offer reasons, Right. Well, reasons mean that they're legit. <laughs> it's like, you know, it's you know, if I were late for practice, why were you late? I'm late because it's my responsibility. It's mm. not my alarm didn't go off. It's not, you know, I, I ran out of gas. It's not like, you know, the dog ate my car keys. You know, it's none of, it's like have a reason, yeah. like a legitimate reason. And then, OK, let's move forward from that. Right. You got yeah. it, you know. Yeah, and that's and, and coming back to what we were talking about at the beginning, you know, that's your opportunity to learn and to grow because you're fully recognizing this thing. You're what not else, brushing over it. What else are we gonna do? <laughs> right? Yeah. Like I've seen so many people give up. Just give up. You know, they're carrying weight they don't want to carry. Well, that's just work. That's just, you know, making different choices. And yeah, you know, some people biologically are different than others, but that doesn't matter. Who do you wanna be? 
Mm. And how can I help you get there? And it's it's amazing how a lot of people are just looking for um, just some level of encouragement and empathy. Yeah. And now, you know, I'm hoping Finish First offers them that. Yeah. You know, at the same time, just giving them a structure and a pathway to starting to check things off their list. It's like, I did this. I did this. One audience I never anticipated finding this book were senior citizens. That's wild. Because you think that finish first thing, it's for young people trying to find, and yes, it is. Or it's for college students trying to find their way into business, or it's for business people trying to find their way to the promotion, or it's for athletes that are trying to find, whatever it is. But I have this whole audience of people that write to me, and they say, you know, thank you. I was stuck. I, you know, there's so many things I wanted to do with my life, and I just, I just had given up. And now I realize that it's on me. It's never too late either. It's never too late. You know, whatever it is, I got a bucket list, right? You know, whatever that is, whatever, you know, whether or not I even filled it out yet. In my mind, I have things I really want to do. Um, how do I get to them? Where do, yeah. How do I prioritize them? And what, are the, what needs to come first before second, before third, before fourth, in order to build that approach to that goal? It's pretty amazing. Do you think that you would have been satisfied if you had just finished first in the world of skating? but hadn't finished first in these other realms of your life that, you know, the, the impact you're having today? Well, that's an interesting question <laughs> because, you know, it's like for me to go from last place, which I did yeah. on many occasions, to going undefeated for four years, I never, I mean, that was its own kind of weird thing. Like I, I never anticipated that, ever planned on that. It was never a goal to go undefeated four years until I got to the, my third year of being undefeated. <laughs> And then it was like, one more year. Come on, we can do this. <laughs> but then when I turned pro, it was all, these, all of a sudden these other opportunities. It's like, well, um, are you going to turn pro? And I go, yeah, but I don't really want to turn pro. F- you know, like that, that thing of going from amateur to professional, it usually means a contract or there's a transaction. I go, I want to kind of do it in a more pure way. Well, what does that look like? And I go, well, you know what? If I don't have a sanction for doing an ice show, I lose my amateur status. Just gone. You know, because people can't track the money, they can't do a lot of things, so that's just a rule. You have to have a sanction to do an ice show. So when I came back from the Olympics in 1984, there was this momentum to build an event there of me doing my first big performance in Denver. And so we partnered with the Denver Symphony who needed money, and then I wanted to do it for cancer research. So um, half the money went to the symphony, half went to research. And do the math, I was able to write a check for $250,000 for wow, cancer research. that's incredible. But I didn't make a penny. Hmm. I didn't get a sanction. <laughs> <laughs> so my way of turning pro was to raise money for cancer. And then it was now there's, well, how do I build a professional career? I never would have had an opportunity to build a professional career had I not done well in competition skating. So yeah. First things first, do this, and then opportunities will start to... Now, like I'm thinking, it's a really good thing for me to have my own cancer foundation so that I can be a, a participant in finding cures for cancer. Yeah, it's circling back to this huge part of your life because, you know, that knocked you down at one point. Yeah, yeah. My, I lost my mother to cancer. 20 years later, I was diagnosed with cancer. I see what it does to people. I lost three dear friends to the cancer last summer, and a dear, dear friend just got diagnosed about two weeks ago. Wow. So it's, there needs to be stuff done, but the federal government can only do so much. And so 
when I founded um, my my Scott Cares Foundation, it was it was about how do we build something unique, you know, just from everything I've learned, in order to you know look at funding cancer in new ways. And so we've created this phenomenal foundation called Cares. And um, if people want to learn more about it, scottcares.org. Um, but we're able to raise money, you know, doing events all over the country and a bunch here in Nashville. To And last year we funded an amazing pediatric immunotherapy program in partnership with the V Foundation um, where they're going to try to um, find a, a protein marker in a cancer cell for um, – what is it? Uh, blast- I'm sorry. I, uh, chemo brain and radiation. <laughs> but it's a brain cancer that has really no treatment for wow. children right now. But if we can um, create a pathway for our T cells to recognize a cancer cell uniquely, then our immune systems can kill the cancer. And there's That's no incredible. chemo. There's no radiation. There's, it's just teaching our bodies how to do the job. And this proposal was so exciting. And it was not only just, you know, coming up with a T-cell, you know, training our T-cells to, you know, kill the cancer. It was also ways of unmasking the cancer cell by introducing a protein in that um, immunotherapy that allowed for that cell to kind of show itself, Hmm. you know. So, you know, we we invested in that. We want to invest in a lot more. We're making friends every day. But that never would have happened had... Other things had happened first. So it's like, you know, my wife, you know, she's very sacrificial. Kids, kids, kids. Really want to make sure the kids have everything they need. It's all about the kids. She, you know, all her day is um, around what the kids need and everything. And every now and then I have to tell her that there's a reason that on an airplane they tell you to put the mask over your face first before that of your children. And you need to take care of you too. So ultimately, if I'm good, she's good. If she's good, and if I'm good, the kids are great. So we've got to build ourselves up in order to be able to be strong for those that need us the most. That's good. That's really good. I'm loving this com- this conversation. <laughs> this is so much fun. I kind of want to wrap up by asking two things. One, you know, you have largely moved on from, you know, actually competing and trying to finish first on the ice. Yeah. You know, that's not necessarily a part of your that day-to-day life. Kind of. Kind of. <laughs> Well, what I was going to say is, what does finishing first look like for you today? You know, we've got the foundation, we've got the book, but what are the things that, you know, are maybe the less glamorous things that you're you're choosing to focus on finishing first on? Well, you know, it's, it's um, why am I here? Okay. I'm here because a couple of doctors in Indiana came up with a proven chemotherapy treatment for my form of cancer. Okay, so I'm here because of that. So who's to say I I shouldn't try to, you know, come full circle, pay it forward by trying to get the funds in the right hands of doctors to um, come up with the next therapy for the next person that wants to have a family or stay with their family or, you know, not have to break a young kid's heart because they're no longer with us, you know. So that drives me. Um, I'm here because of skating, right? So skating, I, I don't actively perform anymore, but I produce shows that raise money for cancer. I put on skate-a-thons that raise money for cancer. And I now have a skating academy uh, here in Nashville that um, we built a learn-to-skate like no other, right? So it's basic skills program that brings people into skating. It's spectacularly successful. 
um, you know, over a thousand kids last year, maybe 1,200 kids this year. We had uh, 53 year olds on the ice. Um, <laughs> that's like cats in a bathtub, that's right? <laughs> but it, what's exciting is, was we created an environment in a way of building this academy where we're able to introduce people to skating in a joyful way, which builds community, which builds you know more skaters. For the predators, it builds more fans, you know, more people that occupy the ranks, which make them more successful. But for me, it's like building a foundation. It's that foundation, right? Where now um, I'm really close to bringing in an Olympic level coach to take those kids and our coaches to the next levels in order for them to fast track their way into competitive skating and be more successful. First things first, let's handle the base. Second thing second, Bring in the coach that can allow us to create a new atmosphere and a new kind of um, business model to be able to really develop talent. And that's on the on the business side. You know, I'm going to continue to write. I got there's a lot more in here. You know, I've got a lot to share. But, um, you know, I do all of that as, you know, the leader of my family. Right. So I have to give my wife what she needs in order to be successful. I have to give my children what they need in order to be successful. And and so I work. You know, I, I speak around the country, and um, I love it. You know, for me, it's like putting on a show, but I have a lot to share. So I, I enjoy sharing that. And different companies bring me in for different messages. And, and um, the Finish First message is kind of right now the one I'm most excited about because – um, it's one that I think everybody really needs and wants to hear. They, you know, because they don't, there, a lot of people are paralyzed. There's just nobody telling them you can do this. You know, you absolutely hundred percent can do this, but here are the steps. Here are the mentalities and here's everything else. And with my kids, it's the same way. You know, I talk about my 14 year old, um, uh, my two 14 year olds and my 16 year old. It's like, communication is really important. You know, at Hmm. that age, there's a lot of stuff going on. I go, how you communicate and how you show up creates opportunity, creates trust, creates success, creates a lot of things. So you need to worry about that. What's the greatest success? Lack of weakness. Let's work on that. So, you know, I'm not this, you know, taskmaster dad. I'm the hugger, lover, cuddler, you know, (laughs) guy. But at the same time, you know, I've been... Um, God has given me these children. You know, th- these are a gift. I mean, I had testicular cancer and a pituitary tumor, and I have two birth children and two adopted children. And again, even with my adopted kids, you know, I saw where they were in Haiti. I mean, their trajectory was awful. I had the means, and I had the ability to change their lives and change the lives of my family as well, to bring to increase the size and decrease the, the love and the... the craziness and the, you know, uh, chaos that comes with having multiple children. But, you know, for me, it's about being productive, being busy, looking forward, being optimistic and not allowing, you know, a lot of the naysayers and the enormity of the job to really um, suck the wind out of my sails. Final question. Yeah. I feel like, you know, there's a small chance that somebody listening to this episode is uh, working hard to become a figure skater and have maybe overcome something difficult, and you just gave them a perfect roadmap for following down your path. But more than likely, you know, most of our listeners are not on an ice rink listening to this. They're yeah. not, they don't have a pair of skates. And maybe they're even questioning, like I have in my life, what is the thing that I want to choose to 
you focus on? You know, what's the thing that I want to finish first in? Because it feels like there's a lot of things out there and I oh, don't yeah. have clarity. Yeah. What's a piece of wisdom to kind of finish this time together? You know, what's a way for people to know what to focus on? Okay. Well, you know, we're all given a list of, of uh, characteristics, you know, unique skill sets, identities. Um, I was in uh, Korea. And in fact, right now, um, the venue manager for figure skating, uh, we had a great friendship. And so he came here from Korea to visit me and my family. And he's, you know, um, he's just this great guy. And he said, I'm worried about my culture, my country. And he goes, why? He goes, people don't have hope. None. Hmm. And I go, really? And he, I handed him the book, right? So he read it and he goes, well, you talk to my staff. And I said, I'd love to. So I was talking to his staff and they were from all over the world, but mostly Korean. And this girl came up to me and she was this beautiful young girl. She was probably, I'd say 18 and she goes, I don't understand what you mean about purpose. And I go, well, what's your question? And she goes, I'm not good at anything. Okay. I could hear her say it, but I, I could hear somebody else telling her that, that she's not good at anything. Do what I tell you to do because you're not good at anything. What a wonderful way to, you know, totally manipulate somebody, right? Yeah. So I said, well, okay, 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 okay. let's break it down. What? do you like to do? What brings you great pleasure? And she said, I like to read. And I go, you like to read? And I go, that's wonderful. I go, what, what do you read? You know, what do you read? And she goes, oh, um, the last two books I read were Jane Eyre and Withering Heights. And I go, you love the classics. And she goes, <laughs> I do. And I go, maybe you're an author. And her eyes pop just a little bit. It was like, just for that moment, she allowed something, a seed to be planted in her brain where it's like, I'd love that. Hmm. So what do we like to do? What are we drawn to? What are we, you know, I always go back to that dumb cliche that if you love what you do, you'll never work a day in your life, right? <laughs> and I talk about purpose. It's like, I love football. I'm five foot three with 120 <laughs> pounds. Okay, that's not going to happen. I love basketball. I'm five foot three. You know, it's like I'll never dunk a basketball in my life, but Michael Jordan will never do a backflip on ice skates, right? <laughs> so it's like leveraging our interests, leveraging things that come easy for us, things that we like to do, things that bring us pleasure, and finding out where that fits into our identity. And once we're able to do that, my goodness, it's like – well, I could do this and I could do that and I could do that. And who knows where it's going to go, but those seeds need to germinate and those seeds need to be looked upon as, as really opportunities to find your purpose, find your identity, find things that will bring you joy. It's not all about drudgery and going up against it and win, win, <laughs> win, win. It's about what's your victory. What is, you know, what's holding you back? What's, your identity. And, and it's identifying that and then using simple principles in order to take that to kind of um, an unpromised promised land. You know, it's like an opportunity. Everything's an opportunity. So it's just, what do you like to do? What are you drawn to? What brings you joy? And that may reveal your identity and your purpose. Wow, Scott Hamilton's attitude and perspective on life is its such a huge inspiration to me. One of Scott's most well-known quotes that is recycled beautifully over time is this. He said, 
everything that I've ever been able to accomplish in skating and in life has come out of adversity and perseverance. I'm challenged by this idea that adversity and perseverance can shape you for good. They can give you a value and self-esteem that is priceless. I believe this truth is needed more than ever today. If this conversation hasn't convinced you yet that Scott's perspective on life is powerful, then let me just reiterate how important his new book, Finish First, is. It was a really inspiring read. It really felt like Scott was just like in my ear, motivating me in an encouraging and kind way. Um, And his social media also holds the same authority. Scott is a worthwhile follow online. If you're new to Sounds Good, we would love for you to stick around. And if you connected with this episode with Scott, you would also love my older conversations with 2018 Olympic medalist Maya and Alex Shibutani. Scott actually just posted a photo on his Instagram uh, with them on Stars on Ice. They are Olympic figure skaters and some of the kindest people I've ever met. And then also NFL athlete David Nelson, who has used his platform as an athlete to have an incredible impact on kids in Haiti. You can find both of these episodes and more than 100 other episodes by searching for Sounds Good wherever you listen to podcasts. This podcast was created by me, Brandon Harvey, as a part of Good, 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 a community that believes in the power of celebrating good news and becoming good news. Chad Michael-Snavely and the team at CM Studio edit and mix the show, and Christy Karenbrock offers her production support. You can get lots of hopeful stories on social media by following us everywhere at goodgoodgoodco. And you can learn more about this podcast and everything else we do, including our good newspaper, by visiting us at goodgoodgood.co. And on that note, that is a wrap for this week's episode. Go out and remember to awaken your greatest potential and embrace the fact that you were born for something special. Don't let the critics and your own failures get you down. Sound good?